Hey everybody, what's up? It's Neville Medora here, and today I'm joined by Dan McDermott. What's going on, man? Hey, doing well. How are you? And Kyle Van Voris of Voris.com. What's going on, buddy? Not too much. How are you guys doing? Good. And so uh, we got you as a guest on the podcast today because you have taken this knowledge of SDR, which means sales development representative, right? You got it. Yep. Okay. Yeah. You've taken that like knowledge that you had working at a company and then you've scaled it into an agency, a website, consultant. Uh, you have tons of content marketing that brings in SEO traffic. You have products. You've done micro products now. You've basically done everything in the full digital spectrum based on this like specific set of knowledge. So we kind of want to pick your brain on that. So quickly, can you explain to us what is an SDR and what was your previous experience with that? Absolutely. So it is a pretty niche area. And SDR stands for sales development representative. So you got that right. And basically their responsibility is cold callability, is cold calling, cold emailing, everything they can do to try and get a meeting on the calendar for a direct sales reps. So it's typically an entry level position. And it was I guess like the real use case there was a lot of software companies wanted like a very efficient way of generating pipeline and having SDRs whose only focus is on prospecting and then salespeople who are only focused on closing yielded more consistent results. So it became a dominant model in the software as a service, uh, like sales space. So oh, my so, experience, go ahead. Uh, I was going to answer the second part of the question. My experience, I ran inside sales teams at a handful of different startup companies. And then after doing that for a while, decided to break off and do my own um, consultant company. And so, so when you say you do your own consulting, like what do your services currently look like? What, what do you sell exactly? What, where does yes, money come from? That's what I want to know. <laughs> My goal is to make it come from everywhere, the roof, the ceiling, anything. Uh, <laughs> do you have a, an advisory service where a you typically, an earlier stage startup company, will pay us to meet with them regularly and help them navigate building or optimizing their inside sales function. Um, then we have some other services as well. Uh, we'll do some sales operations or revenue operations work. And um, we're now branching off into some other services around uh, candidate sourcing. So um, those are probably the core of our business though, would be this revenue slash sales operations and uh, our advisory. Nice. So uh, Kyle, about six months ago or so, I remember you uh, coming to the copywriting course with a pretty major rebrand of your website, which is forest.com. Um, Rebranding is a, is a sort of dicey subject of a lot of people, but I was wondering, do you have any lessons that you learned from your rebrand? Yeah, it's a waste of time. <laughs> That's basically, <laughs> basically my lesson. Um, yeah, I mean, so how that came to be was um, it was really a debate between my business partner and I. He felt our colors were a little bland. I felt like it didn't matter. He kind of convinced me over time to make a change and sort of rip the Band-Aid while we were still early. And I think there's a fair argument to be made. Like, I think a lot about the sales experience and my business partner made a good good argument, which is you care so much about how someone's experience like going through your sales process and then once they're a client, but you're not really worried about like a potential customer's experience when they come to the website. So I'm like, fine, uh, you beat me with my own logic. So we decided to go through it. What I learned is it's very hard to separate yourself from the process of redesigning because in my mind, my goal was, yeah, you deal with it. I'll do nothing. And then it's such a intimate thing that you just get really sucked into it. So my advice would be make sure you have a lot of time <laughs> so that you can dedicate <laughs> to it. And I would just like, if I were to do it over again, I would just pay triple and have somebody 
like have a firm have a firm do it that's really good at it. I mean, it does look pretty good. You you did do a pretty good job with the. Re- it looks a lot more professional than it used to. It looked it yeah. used to look a little bit a little bit janky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did, and it looks <laughs> a lot better now. He wins. That's fine. But yeah, if I were to do it over again, I probably would have just paid a ton and had some agency deal with it and. Yeah. Also, I think a lot of people when they when they do a rebrand, I think what it's like a me and Dan have discussed this before. It almost is like a symptom of like their business not doing well in a certain area, and they're mm-hmm. trying to think that like oh the design is going to make it better. It's like if you have a a barbershop that's doing well, if you like put new plaster on the walls, it's going to do better all of a sudden. It's usually that's not what's causing it. So right. if you look at like Amazon's website and stuff, a lot of those those sites actually don't have any design. It's all just it's white space and UX layout. There, there's actually no design. So yeah, um, that's a very good point. So I, I know like one of the things we've helped you with quite a bit, I think that that we've done is actually redoing the copy on the website. So yeah, yeah, we have a copy redoing the copy on the website. So yeah, yeah, we have a copywriting company. We, of course, we want to make it sound important. But I think that's usually what people need to do instead of a full rebrand sometimes. Um, but I don't know, whenever you're working in a kind of like a B2B space, having a nicely designed website does help somewhat. But as you say, like, Sounds like a little bit of a waste of time. Is that right? Oh, totally. I mean, we we were already doing really well. I mean, it's one of these things, um, and I, this is how I think of a lot of like how our business is growing, is while things are going really, really well, I just want to do a bunch of stuff that's going to ensure that we continue doing well, even if there's a downturn. You know, Because a lot of times I feel like, especially if... I don't know, you're a freelancer, or you're trying to start your own consulting firm. Um, a lot of times people get caught in the trap of like doing a bunch of stuff, trying to get a client or two clients. Then they work very focused on those two clients. The, one of them drops off and their revenue cuts in half and then they freak out mm. and they go back and sell again. And there's always going to be these peaks and valleys. Uh, this happens with every type of business. So while I'm like to do whatever I can to keep the peak and make that peak the future valley, if that makes sense. That's smart. I've seen I've seen a lot of uh, freelancers and also agencies, large agencies in the tens of millions. They'll have one client like Dell. Dell pulls out for whatever reason, and now they have to fire like forty people because they don't have work for them anymore. Um, well, and this is what you guys actually helped us with uh, because you were you were talking about copywriting course. Um, that those micro products are part of that broader strategy, which is mm. how do you diversify your revenue? Like, I don't want to be super tied to one client. Sure, that's important, but I also don't want to be tied to one offering. So, how can you diversify? Diversify your revenue streams. You know, they talk about the wealthiest people have like seven streams of revenue, but I, the mm. good businesses have multiple streams of revenue too. So I'm very focused today on how I can diversify our revenue streams. Oh, that's a that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, I have like a bunch of little different revenue streams here and there, and all adds up to like a tidy little amount. It's, it's kind of cool. So if one thing disappears, you always have something to fall back on. Um, let's see. So. Why do you come to nearly every office hours? <laughs> because I've, I've noticed this one thing. Um, it's like a college class. We offer the thing called office hours inside the membership that everyone can come to. But it's kind of like a college class. There'll be 300 people in the class or something. But then like one or two people will show up to office hours for the professor. So you get to talk directly to the professor, but no one shows up. I almost feel like it's the same for a community where like 1% of the people will show up each time. And you've been a constant staple in a lot of the office hours. Um, what, what's the reasoning behind that? Well, I, yeah, I mean, almost like a professor, like I have a lot of respect for you, Neville as well, Dan. And, um, if I get an opportunity to even ask a small question to people who have a lot more experience than I do, I would be crazy not to take 
take them up on that. And you guys have brought things up based on a question I've asked that were totally irrelevant to the question that has had massive impacts on my business. And I've told you guys this offline, but I mean, in general, you guys at Copywriting Course had a huge impact. So I feel like I'd be a fool to stop listening to people who have guided me so well. And I want to take advantage of any bit of time I can get. Nice. Yeah, it's also been a great chance just to get to know you as a person. I mean, the the handful of people who do show up regularly like you, I feel like we know them more. We're a little more invested personally in your businesses because, you know, we just, I don't know, we get to know them on a, on a friend kind of level too. Um, and Kyle, I mean, we've spoken a bunch of times outside of the course as well, and you've helped me out with stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's been really great having you there as a constant staple, like Neville said. Um, and I on the last uh, call, actually, I remember you bringing in a uh, one of your new team members and uh you've mentioned your partner in the past i was wondering how how does copywriting course sort of fit with with your overall team how do you see uh this kind of fitting in with other people or is it just something that you would do no, no it has to be other people um <clears throat> i don't do much of the writing anymore so we have writers um dan who i brought last time is uh we just decided uh, we just brought him on to be our content marketing manager to help us manage the writers and make sure we have content going out consistently um i really intend every time we bring on somebody to have them go through at least three months of copywriting course and if they're directly touching content i intend to have them there for their entirety of their time at at Voris because I think the skill set is really important. Um, even if they're not doing copywriting themselves, even if you hire somebody like a data scientist, having an idea of what it takes to get somebody for, with using the written word to be kind of convinced or sold um, or even pushed in the right direction, depending on you know what direction you want them to go, um, through the written word is a really powerful skill set. And everybody at least having the awareness that that skill set exists, I think really is helpful. So I intend to have everybody go through at least three months. Oh, that's nice. And, and basically we help them with anything that they have questions with. That's kind of one of the things I've, uh, oh, that's nice. And, and basically we help them with anything that they have questions with. That's kind of one of the things I've, I've, I've pr uh, prided ourselves on. That it's not just like a bunch of videos where you watch me talk. I think that's kind of a little bit of an old school model where you, you get the videos that watch me talk, of course. But then if they have a piece of content they're working on, they just actually post it there. Myself, Dan, Susanna, Johnny, all these other people will like pitch in and help. Um, one interesting thing that, that tickles me greatly is you made a product called the greatest sales compensation model of all time. Best title of all time, in my opinion. And uh, we did that, I guess we had like this little thing called sell while you sleep, which I, I don't know why I called it that, but it was just like, basically you make a product that you can sell and deliver and uh, promote while you sleep. And so you did a little beta test with us and you came out with a product called the greatest sales compensation model of all time. And all they get is, I, I believe just an Excel file or a, a Google spreadsheet and like a 20 minute video explaining how you did that. Um, Correct. What did you learn from a process of building like this product? Like what were some interesting tidbits you learned? Well, first of all, I'm addicted. I will be doing a micro product at least once a month. Oh my God. <laughs> I wow. So okay. Yeah. I actually, I have some good, uh, good results here to talk about. Um, so yeah, the greatest sales compensation model of all time was my first dip into the micro product world. And I'm very happy with how it turned out. We, we sold it for $97. Uh, what did I learn from that? Uh, thumbnail matters a lot, which I probably learned more from my set product. And this is actually an interesting idea is <clears throat> I think everybody, there's kind of like the first thing you do, but the riches are always in like the second, third, fourth. Like it's always down the line, like as you learn and get better, which I think is a good lesson. So the first one we did, $97, it was a, a spreadsheet that we used with our clients to help them 
figure out how they should compensate their sales reps. It's really cool. And we sold it. And to date, we've sold like five of them. So from a unit's perspective, not great, but really it's, it's niche, right? We're selling it on AppSumo. Um, and like, you have to have a sales one. I was thinking, well, I want to do something more broad. And I should think a little bit more about the marketplace I'm posting it on like what the user base is there. So that's why we did the next one, which was um, like a LinkedIn sales process. And there's two flow charts. And I walk through how our clients leverage LinkedIn to generate sales opportunities. Mm. So it's a pretty high level. It's about 16 minutes of videos and two uh, flow charts that you can kind of go through and model your behavior off of these flow charts. That one we've sold over a hundred now. We're selling what? it for $17 oh, wow. and we've made like 1500 bucks. All on AppSumo, I didn't do anything. This is the greatest, this is why I'm so addicted. I'm like, if I just get, if I can make one micro product every month for a year, I could see a world where AppSumo by itself is bringing in five grand a month doing nothing. So I'm really into this. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when you were in, in the beta test, uh, you know, we were sort of batting a couple ideas around here and there. And then as soon as uh, we sort of mentioned the digital product idea, uh, I, I, you know, we were on a video call and I saw you kind of light up right away. You're like, oh, really? Easy. And then uh, I've got like a bunch of these, right? 90% done on, uh, on my Google Drive. And uh, and then on the one call, you had like four or five ideas that you were spitting out real quick. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that a couple of them really started catching. It's also it oh, was yeah. also cool to watch you go through the process of like I think yeah. what happened you were thinking of doing a course on each one so that means you got to like record a thing of like what is an SDR and then do a video on that and then all the all the little things that involved in the course were just like you know what I think people already know what this is just sell the damn spreadsheet that you're selling in a how to video that's it that's the whole micro product thing so that's awesome yeah it's way better than trying to convince someone to buy a course you know, cause then either you're like charging very little, so there's low friction and they'll just buy the course, but also, but really like you're charging a lot. So then you have to have, you need social proof. You need to convince them of it. But if I put a $17 PDF on AppSumo and just say, Hey, this is how our clients generate meetings with LinkedIn. People just say, Hey, this is how our clients generate meetings with LinkedIn. People will just go buy it. And that's yeah. so much easier and took me less than two hours to set up. Also, I think a lot of this information you can get online for free now, like 10 years ago, maybe when YouTube wasn't as developed, it was more like a hosting platform for cat videos and stuff like that and Simpsons clips. <laughs> like back then, yeah, you didn't get all the, you, didn't, you couldn't figure out what an SDR was on YouTube at the time. But now there's like damn good information on YouTube and other platforms for free, totally for free, you can watch them. Um, you don't really need to buy an entire course now. Kind of, you just need the little, the core uh, spreadsheet that you bring to the table or something. Also compensation models, like there's a small amount of people in the world that can make a really great compensation model. So I think that's a pretty valuable thing. You probably sell that to your uh, consulting audience for way more than 97 bucks, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that, that's funny. You mentioned the uh, the the LinkedIn product as well because that was my next question. I I follow you on LinkedIn, and over the last year or so, the last year or so, I have seen you uh, step up your game several times uh, with you know going from basic LinkedIn posts to LinkedIn posts with video to you know you, we're we're watching on a video call right now with this great background and really professional video setup. Uh, I was just wondering, like, first of all, why did you settle on LinkedIn? instead of Twitter or another channel. And then uh, I guess, do you have any tips on making super engaging posts? Because I've seen people really kind of lump into your uh, into, into your posts now with comments and reshares and everything. 
Yeah. Well, the first thing I think is important to realize is most posts don't do that great. So <laughs> I constantly will talk to friends or like you, for example, and they're like, you're blowing up on LinkedIn. I'm like, okay, really? Because I'm seeing like a, a nine out of 10 strikeout and you're just seeing one out of 10 actually do really well. <laughs> so uh, the algorithm is definitely helping my reputation in that regard. Um, why did I choose LinkedIn? So I was already there. I had a decent following because I had written the book uh, called The Committed with a following and I was putting some content out there. So I just sort of stuck with it. But really, like I am not wired for social media. When something happens in my life, when I see something, I the instinct to grab my phone and share it is not present at all. So it actually takes me a lot of effort to do any type of social media. So I stuck with LinkedIn because it's also like sometimes I have sales conversations. So people will reach out saying they want to talk to me about my services. So I'm already going there pretty often. So I stuck with LinkedIn because of that. I'm trying to do Twitter a little bit. I'm just not good at it. So I'm, I'm still working <laughs> on it. Um, the posting's hard. Figuring out what people will engage with, I still don't really know the the model. Like I, I've kind of distilled it down a little bit to like kind of conflict or epiphany where if you start off your post with some kind of conflict or like you've made some big revelation, that seems to help a little bit, but I can't find a distinct trend, unfortunately. Well, that's, I mean, that's cool that, cool that, that you're good on LinkedIn. So for example, I'm the opposite. I love Twitter and I get Twitter and I find it much easier to use and everything. And then LinkedIn, I'm like, oh my God, what is this? I don't know. It's just, everyone's got their own little style. And so like LinkedIn, I, I don't check at all. I think we, we post on it, but it's through Buffer. So I don't actually log in and post on it. It's just through an API right. that we do it. But that's really interesting that you do that. Um, Twitter is more, I don't know, I found it more uh, about just being kind of like engaging and just talking with people. And uh, I shit talk my friends on it all day. That's kind of <laughs> what I do. I basically just like roast Sam and Noah all day on it. Um, it's just, I don't know, I don't know what's, is there much value in that, but it's been interesting to watch you blow up on LinkedIn and how well that does for your business. Also, it sounds like all your customers are going to be on LinkedIn, not Twitter or Facebook necessarily. Yeah. That's the other reason too, is it does generate uh, business for us. So, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I don't really see a need to diversify too much. I'd like to be more involved in Twitter because our, our business will mature. And I, I view me getting a lot more into like early stage funding um, in some capacity. So I'm trying to like, it's so, you know, VCs are on Twitter and those relationships can start yeah. on Twitter. It's not like I'm trying to, but I would say I the know. best way to do is start following the right people and eliminating aggressively anyone who like has crap or something like that. So there's a lot of negativity. It's usually because you're following a person that like is talking about a lot of that stuff. So you need to uh, unfriend them or put them on a list. So I've been doing That's lists. Smart. So I actually follow very few people because if you follow someone, you start seeing who they like and what their comments are. Whereas if you put them on a list, it just shows their top posts. So if they have a banger, you see it. So that's the way I've been doing it and just keeping my feed clean with fun stuff. So I would say that's start like smart. a little VC list that's private so no one else can see it. And then uh, you start following those people and then you'll naturally just start engaging with them when they talk about something. Yeah. yeah and then, that's uh, great feedback. I'll do that for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, so once again, let's wrap up. Um, what have you learned from copyright? What have you learned from copywriting course overall? It's kind of a broad question. I'm just, I'm just curious because you're just kind of like a star member. So I would like to think about like, what do you learn? Uh, and I'll start with that question. Um, I mean, the gosh, so the a big part of my learning early on is not even related to copywriting. Unfortunately, it's just the fact of like how helpful it is to have another set of eyes on something 
who are experts in that mm-hmm. thing. Like the, the barrier for me to become an, an incredibly good copywriter is pretty high. Um, I may be able to get good. I'm, you know, I, I don't know. I think so, but I have to put a lot of effort to get good. I have to really want to get good, and I do, but I don't have the time to allocate it as much as I as I would like. So, I think the first thing I learned is that you really need people in your corner that you can ask for support and help in an area that you may not be totally comfortable in. And you guys have probably noticed when I do post things now, they're better than when I first started posting things. Mm -hmm. So that's rubbing off obviously. So I'm getting better and better. Um, but that's not necessarily the goal. The other thing I learned, um, so anyway, that, that feedback loop I think is really important. The other thing I learned, which might be more copywriting related is, um, probably more like, and it, it kind of is obvious, but that ADA formula, applies i think everywhere and i find myself really thinking through the lens of the person who's consuming the content whether that be a video whether that be an article a linkedin post and i just think the reader the person on the other end of the screen like what do i want them to how what do i want their experience to be and i think that formula helped me like shift a little bit and think more from their perspective which has helped me beyond just copywriting but in content creation in general Nice. Yeah, it's been it's been a pleasure watching you uh, grow and stuff like that. And then uh, back to our original question: Can you list the different sources of income that you have? Like, you don't have to list the <laughs> no, list the numbers no. and stuff, but it's just like, what are the different little uh, things all leading into your pocket? Okay, I will tell you the ones that exist today, and I will tell you the ones that will <laughs> exist shortly, <laughs> because I I am so addicted to this idea. Like Leo, my business partner, is like so sick of it because my whiteboard is like all just different. <laughs> He's like, you got to be focused on something. But anyway, actually, side note, real quick, because I think there is a benefit to being very focused on one thing and make sure you're doing that one thing really well. Mm-hmm. Love that. But there's also these really low friction things you could be doing that don't actually take your attention away from the core thing you're working on. Mm-hmm. So the opportunity cost is incredibly low to do like a micro product, for example. Like that's not- and You could just roll it into your main product budget. at some point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, so what exists today? Um, I guess it's so advisory and then there's managed services. So one is they're just paying for advice. The other one is we're actually helping them with software implementation, integration, Uh, things like that. Uh, So those are a third one that's just starting now is um, uh, candidate sourcing. So we have a job board that actually started getting a lot more popular. We just redesigned it and it's going really well. So we're experimenting with candidate sourcing, super low friction for us to do because we already have the job board. doesn't take me any more time. Um, The micro products are great. I'm addicted to those. So that's the fourth. And then the ones coming down the pipeline are helping companies raise capital, whether that be for like a series B round or whether they're trying to acquire another company. That's a part of our business that's starting to grow. And we're almost at a point to where that'll be a revenue stream for us. And then the last one that we're, no, maybe that's it. I don't know. My whiteboard's in the other room. Didn't you, anyway, have, so those uh, five. Did you have digital products and training at some point? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. We do have that. Um, I need to, oh yeah, we do have that. Um, I need to repurpose a lot of it. So I've shut it off for now. Yeah. But I remember that was definitely like one of your things. Yeah. So, okay. So you've got like uh, roughly four or five different sources of income from the same business. I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. Cool. Uh, I appreciate you being open about that, Kyle. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, how can people find you? You got a website, a book, social media, where can people find you? 
Yeah, I mean, the website is voris.com. That's a V-O-U-R-I-S. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I have a unique last name. Copy and paste it. You'll find me. <laughs> and then what's that book that you were talking about? Uh, so, I, yeah, I wrote a book called Cold to Committed. I actually, my second book's coming out pretty soon, which is called The Sales Development Framework. I co-authored it with um, a friend of mine, David, and uh, that comes out soon as well. So if you're in a, like a software company, you have a sales development team. Those are two books you're definitely going to want to read, which is Cold to Committed and The Sales Development Framework. They're really good. Nice. Well, dude, thank, thank you so much for this. And, and Dan, thank you for uh, organizing this and all the questions and everything. It's been just like, like taking this specific SDR knowledge from working at a company and turning it into your own little kind of like digital empire and becoming a, a not, not a one-man media company, but like a small media company putting out, uh, mm -hmm. I guess you'll do YouTube videos, content marketing, LinkedIn, all that kind of stuff, and then bringing in all this business from that. That's pretty awesome to watch and like kind of the magic of the internet. So Kyle, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, Dan, thanks for being on the call. 